Welcome to the Carnivore Cast, a podcast focused on the carnivore diet and lifestyle, with practical advice from successful carnivores, citizen scientists, and top researchers. I'm your host, Scott Meslinski, and I'm here to speak with experts and experienced carnivores to get answers to your biggest and meatiest questions while helping you live your best life as a carnivore. If you enjoy the show, please consider supporting the Carnivore Cast on Patreon. By becoming a patron, you'll help us reach more people and continue to create content on Carnivore. There are also exclusive perks available, such as private Q&As, consultations with me, and more. Become a supporter at patreon.com slash carnivorecast. Check the episode description for the link. Thank you, and I'll see you there. Georgia Raftopoulos is a Greek sheep and cattle rancher based in Colorado and co-owner of Two Bar Sheep Co., a multi-generational family business that raises fresh, antibiotic-free Colorado lamb. They continue to honor their roots by humanely and sustainably raising ram... I I can't pronounce that. (laughs) Use crossed with Ramboulet and Suffolk rams. Welcome to the show, Georgia. Thank you. Thanks for having me. And you got it. You got Rambouillet right there on the stage. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, so great. So uh, I, I love to start with just hearing a little bit more about your story um, and your family story. You know, how did you get into um, sheep and cattle ranching? Yes. And I do love sharing our story. So I love when people ask. Um, so like you said, multi-generational, my brothers and I are third generation. Um, our grandparents on both sides immigrated from Greece and they actually immigrated to Price, Utah, where they started working in the coal mines. And then they kind of, they heard of land for sale in Northwest Colorado and they ended up coming up here and back in Greece, they had raised goats and sheep. And so they wanted to get back into that and, um, started a sheep ranch. And then now all these years later, we're still here and uh, trying to honor that heritage while producing like a great natural uh, food and fiber for America. That's great. And um, did you always want to be a cattle and sheep <laughs> rancher or like did, was there a lot of family pressure to <laughs> move into that? Um, yeah. How did that evolve for you? No, I, I always consider myself super lucky. So I have two younger brothers. We're all really, really close. And our parents just told us like, go and do whatever you want. If you want to leave, that's great. We're going to support you. If you want to come back, that's also great. And you know, you have a spot here. So I did not think I wanted to come back to the ranch. When I graduated high school, I left and I went to school and I'm actually a trained speech language pathologist. And then it just kind of ended up and I came back. So I do work part-time as a speech language pathologist in our local school district. And then um, my other brother works full-time on the ranch and my youngest brother kind of does part-time and does his own thing. He's more into finance and numbers and that kind of thing. But it's kind of cool because we've each found our niche in the ranch and um, we're always like welcome and throwing ideas back and forth. So I am very blessed and lucky with the family situation we have. That's awesome. Um, and what what does raising animals mean to you? Like, wh- how do you interpret that role? And um, like, what are some of your goals with it? Yeah, I I was actually talking with my dad about this the other day, and I was like, it it means everything to us, Dad. Like, animals 
um, and animal welfare. It just means everything to us since this is our livelihood and protecting this like way of life is so important to us. And we have roots that go so back um, so deep on that. So raising animals and animal welfare is always at the top of our list, right? So we want um, to promote such a great natural food and fiber for everyone, but also want people to know how important animals are to ranchers. And that's not just us, but like, I would say the majority of ranchers and farmers feel that exact same way. That's awesome. Yeah, that's really refreshing to hear. Um, and I guess how, um, talk like more about some of the processes you use. Like how do you raise animals? How are you different than other, other um, ranchers or other practices? And uh, where, where have you learned some of the methods as well? Yeah, I think, um, sorry, we are an open range, uh, sorry, my, my brother just walked in. We're an open range migratory sheep operation. So this is definitely different than a lot of like smaller farms or sheep ranches that might be like out in the East. Here in the West, a lot of the operations are big like this. So we are constantly moving um it kind of mimics that natural way that livestock graze and move and we another way that we kind of like help the animals along and we're always there you know watching our animals is we're a herded operation so we employ workers through the h2a program most of them come from peru or mexico and they're always with the sheep so they're protecting them from predators from sickness from storms and watching how they graze and we are, um, so it's like 160 miles from our high country to our winter range, but our sheep are never going more than like six to eight miles a day. And they're always just kind of being herded and mimicking that natural way that they move. And I can imagine it's like very expensive to maintain um, compared to like a more conventional, or I guess, could, could you describe what like some of the more conventional um, sheep operations are like? Um, I don't really have a sense. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I would say like if you think of just like a sheep farm, you're kind of picturing pastures that sheep are constantly maybe just like, you know, they're in one pasture and then you move them to the next pasture and you're doing like a rotational grazing. But they're always like within a very um, close area, I guess, to like maybe the farmhouse or the the barn or wherever you are headquartered out of. Um, well, where we are covering so much range so in the summer we're up high and like we graze on permits in the forest and then as like the seasons change we kind of move our way off the mountain and we're just kind of gradually moving so we are located in Colorado but like right now our sheep are in the high desert in Wyoming so they're up there doing their thing since that's where we winter on the high desert I don't know if I'm answering your question maybe I'm yeah no, 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 it is. That's really helpful. So there aren't like traditional um, like feedlot or um, no. CAFO for, for sheep. No, not here. I mean, we do have some pastures, obviously, you know, so we're, we have some areas that they are pastured, but even when they're in those pastures, we have our sheep herders with them. So we're constantly kind of moving them. We have, we run on our own deeded land, but then we're also running on um, forest, per, like for national forest in the summer. We're also running on um, like state leases. So like BLM land and all of that as well. So we're not just staying in like one little area. It's a big 
uh, range that we're covering throughout the year. And it's just a big circle. Like we're going to soon, I mean, let's see, it's almost February. So we'll be up in the winter range in Wyoming until about April. And then we start moving back into Colorado. We have to shear and then we're going to start lambing where we lamb on the range. And then as the summer progresses, we'll move up into the high country and then we come right back down and we just do it all over again. It's just a big cycle. Yeah, that's really cool. And you you talk about like all these different um, areas and moving to different states. Do you like have property in all those places or are you um, like taking to them to other people's ranches? It's a, it's a combination. Yeah. So we own property in Colorado and we also are part of the grazing association up in Rock Springs, Wyoming. So you pay and you have shares on this like large parcel and there's multiple ranchers that have shares in that. And the number of animals um, depend that you can put on depends on the number of shares that you own. And then um, in Colorado, like we have leases, you know, perhaps with other landowners that are no longer running livestock um, we can like, we lease their land so we can run our livestock on their land. Um, we have those BLM state leases and on public lands that we run on. And all of it is kind of like moderate, like it's all monitored, right? So if we're not going to be on public lands and graze all of it, there's a specific process into how we can graze. And the same with land leases, like, well, we can go on for six weeks and then we're going to have to be off and it has to be between these dates. So it just really depends on the season and like where we are in the process and what land we're running on. Very cool. And how many um, head, I guess, do you have? (laughs) Um, We are close to 13,000 sheep this past year. Wow. Yeah, it's a lot of sheep, right? (laughs) So as you a lot of people know the West has been in a very big drought in the last couple of years and we're still not out of it. So last year, the beginning of the summer, we knew the drought was already pretty bad and it wasn't looking like it was going to get better. So we did sell a good amount of sheep. So we probably sold about a thousand, if not a few more than that. And um, we're kind of looking to rebuild back up to those numbers that we had before, but it's hard too, because we're still kind of in that drought and right now the land market's so high. So there's just so many uh, factors that play into that. I'm very excited to be partnering with BiOptimizers to bring you guys an awesome new product. Capex helps you digest fat, which we all know is so important on a carnivore or meat-based diet. There are many well-researched benefits to having good fat in your diet. I think it's an essential part of carnivore to make sure you're getting enough fat, not just jamming down protein. But the problem is with too much fat and without proper digestive enzymes and key nutrients, the fat just sits in your stomach and creates a traffic jam. For me, this made me bloated, made me up all night with indigestion. You can feel sluggish, low energy. Undigested fats pass through your GI tract so you can get greasy, fatty stools, constipation, fatty liver, etc. But BiOptimizers has created an awesome new digestive product called Capex, which is specifically great for carnivore. It helps in a few key ways. One is it can help rev up your cellular metabolism and boosting your energy and your capacity to burn fat as fuel. It also helps your body build new cells on a carnivore diet. And lastly, it can give you really strong focused energy. So I don't recommend taking it past 5 p.m. or so because it can just wake you up without any stimulants, which is pretty awesome. 
So I highly suggest you check it out. I had a great podcast with one of the founders and CEO of Bioptimizers, Matt Gallant, if you want to check it out. You can go to kenergize.com slash carnivorecast to get a discount. That's K-E-N-E-R-G-I-Z-E.com forward slash carnivorecast, one word. And you'll automatically get 10% off any package of K-Packs with coupon code carnivorecast10. It's all one word at checkout. That's K-Energize slash carnivorecast. And hope you guys enjoy. Yeah, you mentioned you don't have any like confined feeding operations, but are there others in the U.S. for sheep? Do people raise sheep that way conventionally? Yeah. So there. Are you talking? Are you referring to like more like feedlots or like just? Yeah, feedlots or or mm-hmm. anything like like what is the prototypical um, sheep operation in in the U.S.? I really think it just kind of depends on the area that you're in in the U.S. Right. So like out here where we are in Colorado, like open range operations is the norm. Um, I know that like, as you get farther back East, there's going to be more like small flock farm operations, even in the Midwest, that type of area. Um, There are feedlots when we sell our lamb. So we raise sheep um, for meat production for lamb, as well as a set as wool as that fiber. Um, so when we wean our lambs in the fall, they do go to feedlots uh, more on the Eastern slope of Colorado where they're fed and taken care of until um, they reach the desired weight and then go to like a slaughterhouse. Gotcha. And um, I guess um, why is so much of, it seems like, and, and this is just me being a naive consumer, um, but I imagine a lot of my listeners are trying to learn the same things. Um, it seems like a lot of lamb in the grocery stores is from New Zealand, is imported. Why is that? Yeah, I, well, there's like a lot of different factors that play into that. And I, it's always like been such a push to like get American lamb in there and, you know, have consumers looking at that product rather than that imported product. Um, New Zealand and Australia are known for their sheep numbers. Like they have a lot more than America does and they have different. So here in America, we face issues that they don't necessarily have down there. Um, so two of those big issues are labor and predators. And if you think like New Zealand and Australia, they don't have the predators that we have here and they don't have to deal with the labor that and all the issues that surround labor that we do here. And so I think it's just a lot easier for them to push that product into grocery stores or restaurants, wherever you're seeing it. Got it. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, and so you mentioned, do you sell your lamb for both uh, meat and wool? Um, how do you, how is it distributed? Um, are you doing any of the um, slaughter or the um, production yourself or like who do you work with? Yeah, in regard, well, Let's see. In regards to wool, um, every April we shear our sheep. So we have, we are not necessarily shearing them ourselves. We bring in crews that specialize in that and um, we shear and then we keep our wool and we sell it, you know, when the market's looking good for us to sell. For lamb, we, in the fall, like in September, we are weaning and we sell lamb like on a local basis here. We'll just do a few of like local people want to buy some lamb. They can get that from us directly. And then we feed, send the rest of our lambs to the Eastern Slope where we feed. And then we are, a, we just opened 
a processing plant with a couple other families over in Eastern Colorado. And so where they're processing lamb and then sending it out. So we're not actually um, fabricating it, like cutting it into chops, legs and all of that. We're selling whole carcasses. And a lot of those are going back East, like Pennsylvania, um, New York area. Well, very interesting. And do you, um, do you eat your own lamb? Do you cook it? Yes, absolutely. I love lamb. <laughs> what um what are some of your favorite ways to use lamb um in, in your own cooking? Yeah, um so being Greek, I think that has definitely that influences like how we cook it and how we prepare it. And uh, I growing up, like I never knew that people like didn't like lamb or <laughs> people weren't used to eating lamb just because we ate so much of it. Um always like keeping seasoning simple is our like favorite thing. My dad always says, you don't need sauce. You just need a good piece of meat so you can taste it. And, um, either grilling it or baking it is really kind of our go-to ways. Any, uh, cooking secrets you can share with the audience looking to make lamb? Yeah, for sure. Um, so when we season lamb, like kind of, if we're doing a leg, a rack, chops, uh, ribs, even we just season it very simply, like always use kosher salt, lemon pepper. So the Greeks are big on lemon. You got to go with the lemon, um, kosher salt, lemon pepper, garlic, like granulated garlic or garlic powder, fresh ground pepper and some oregano. And I don't think people like season enough. That's totally a personal preference, but like season it, have a nice crust on there. And then if you can season it two days ahead and leave it in your fridge uncovered, um, that flavor is just like so much better. And then we just grill it um, or bake it slowly and you got it. I actually have some recipes like posted on our website if people wanted to look into it a little bit more. Yeah, that's awesome. I was looking at some of them on uh, the twobarsheep.com website and also on your Instagram page. You have some great content on there. Oh, thanks. Yeah, I just, lamb is tricky and I don't know, are, do you eat a lot of lamb? Oh yeah, I love it. Oh, great. I love hearing that because I think lamb like when we eat beef you know usually if you go to a store or a restaurant you get a steak it's going to be kind of like very similar flavor but lamb has a different flavor profile and so sometimes if you get a piece of lamb that you don't necessarily love you're not gonna want to try it again where it can be so good and you just have to really find the product that works for you yeah i remember um so when i before my wife and i moved to new york we belonged to a meat share, a meat CSA um, called Walden Local Meats in Boston. They're all over New England. Um, and we would always select to get as much lamb as we could. Um, and it was always so good. And then we would get, and, and what's cool is because it's a CSA, you get a lot of different cuts, not just like the typical ones, um, like rack of lamb that are sold in the grocery store. And um the one thing that like really threw me off was having uh, lamb ribs. They were like so incredibly fatty. <laughs> um, it was almost hard to, to eat, um, but they're really good. I am totally with you. It's funny. Like in my family, there's a running joke because I don't really like fat. And so I'm always like cutting it off. And so ribs have been hard for me too. And I don't know if you've made them like this, but if you like cut them individually and then season them and then bake them, um, I guess a lot of that fat kind of bakes off and it's a lot, they're a lot better to me anyways. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's a good tip. Um, have you or your family faced a lot of pushback 
um, from like the plant-based or vegan community about um, your business or your practices? Um, I wouldn't say directly. You know, I, up until recently when I started sharing on Instagram, we haven't really been like very, you know, front and center about our operation. We've been kind of more on the quiet side, but um, definitely the industry as a whole has been getting, has gotten some pushback and how to be facing with those challenges because it is a big deal right now, especially in America, the whole move to plant-based and uh, a lot on animal welfare and how we treat our animals. Um, Those are big in the media, I think. Is that surprising to you at all? Like, I guess I I would imagine, and I don't want to put words, words in your mouth, but like growing up in a family that like respected the animals so much Mm-hmm. and was so focused on like creating an amazing life for them it it's almost it, it might be baffling to see like all these people who are probably for the most part like me and, and not as closely in touch with their food um pushing that absolutely um you know you you take it personally actually when you you have to eventually have that disconnect so you're not like emotional about it but you definitely take it personally and you just don't understand why. And you see things out there that you know are not true Um, yet it's shared so many times. And it's especially today with social media and how fast things can just circulate. um, It's, it's definitely baffling and you do take it personally. And so you have to try to not be emotional about it and move forward and try to educate people of how we really are and how life really is and how we really treat our animals because it can be definitely different than what people are seeing. Yeah. I, I totally get that and respect that. And um, I feel for you having to, having to deal with that. Um, that's really tough. Thanks. Yeah. It's, it's funny. Like you said, growing up, I didn't really think about it. And then, you know, you like hit a certain age and you start hearing all this and you're like, what? And my dad, who's been always, I mean, he went off to school and came back to the ranch right after school. And he's, so he's been very involved and he's been very involved with a lot of different um, ranching organizations and sheep organizations. And he's like, yeah, this is how it goes. And I'm like, what, how can people think like this? But then you have to, you know, see the other side too. And they're probably thinking, how can we think like that? So it's definitely a balance and trying to figure out how to survive in that environment. Yeah. And you had a great post on your Instagram about um, supporting local ranchers and some things people can do. Um, Do you want to share some of those tips with the audience? Um, Because I think, you know, that's one thing that's hard um, coming at the problem from this side is there's so much information from plant-based people on like, you know, meatless Mondays and um, replacing your food with uh, like vegan alternatives and like ways you can quote unquote contribute as a consumer. It's, it's like very easy to buy into the barrier of entry is relatively low. And as well, there's a certain stigma around it. Um, what are some ways that, you know, we who, who want to support, um, you know, sustainably raising, humanely raising animals? Um, how can we do that? Yeah. I always say like, you know, definitely like choose American products when you can. Um, and that, 
obviously not just for like lamb or but all meats and all products choose american products um you can try to choose products that are even sourced closer to home and i know it's different depending on where you live so um that's not always as easy um i just think like educating yourself more and like learning that story where your food comes from so there are a lot of people out there trying to share that story of their farming operation or their ranching operation and learning that story or, you know, even digging deeper into what you're hearing from maybe like that meatless face um, will get you a lot farther because usually there's a lot more stories out there than what you're hearing. <laughs> um, I also like, I just had a, a post to like on food waste and this is kind of um, going off topic, but I just like, if you just Google something, you might get like what you're hearing, you know, but as you dig into those articles, you're going to find sources that are telling you more than just what the, some people are pushing on social media or even in the media in general. Yeah, that's very well said. Um, yeah, social media can be a kind of crazy echo chamber both ways of just right. finding and seeing people who support what you want to see. Absolutely. I mean, and I even have to look at that too. Like I'll, if I'm going through my feed on Instagram, obviously I'm following a lot of farming and ranching people and especially like women in agriculture. And so I'm seeing that, but I have to like make a conscious effort to look at the other side too and see like what they're saying. So we can try to like have this balance um, to put out information that's real, but not super far-fetched. And so everyone can access that information. Yeah, that's great. Um, you mentioned women in agriculture. So I, I need to ask, like, what is the state of women in agriculture in, in your opinion? And like, what, what do you want to do to be a leader in that space? Yeah, that's funny you say. So um, I guess it was in June, I ended up going to a rural rooted reunion. And up until then, like, I just don't, I'm from a small town. Um, not everyone here is in agriculture and there's not like definitely a lot of women in agriculture. So then I went to this retreat and there's all these women in agriculture and they're all like have different stories and they want to share a different part of life. So a lot of them are ranch wives sharing that thing. And I kind of come at it from a different perspective since I am like the rancher's daughter, or, you know, if you looked at my brother, I'm the rancher's sister um, or the rancher herself. So I just want um, people to know that like there are women in this industry and they're working hard and how we can influence other areas. Like, so I think when you look at the man's role in agriculture, they're like, they're the ones all the time out there doing the manual labor. And there are women out there doing that too, just so people can know that there's women doing these jobs that you might not always see. Yeah, that's great. I think that's really important. Um, and what are some of your other goals with your Instagram? Um, and you're, you're like pushing out more into social media, spreading the word about your family business and your practices. Um, what, what are you trying to do with that? <laughs> yeah. When it started, when I started like sharing consistently, I just really wanted to be like a voice for agriculture and try to like promote ag. Um, but then it kind of came in the whole part, like my Greek heritage part too. And if you do <laughs> follow me on Instagram, you're going to see my yaya or my grandma, um, just like playing that role of 
our like a Greek family and all those like morals that come with that, but also that we are out here, small town ranching and um, how important ag is. And just like, even though you live in a city, there are things that you can do to connect yourself to agriculture or learn more about where your food comes from. And just by connecting through social media, it's a crazy thing. Yeah. That's super important. And, um, how about um, your business? Like, what are some of the goals for Two Bar Sheep? Uh, I think that would, that's actually a good question. That's a really good question. I think it would, um, the answers would vary depending on who you ask in my family. <laughs> my dad's always like, we're our goals <laughs> just to survive. And, um, you know, but I think my brother has a different goal. Of, like, he wants to grow, um, you know, he wants to start maybe reading, really growing our replacement program where we, grow, uh, raise ewe lambs. And then people that are interested in maybe getting in the sheep industry or building their own herd can reach out and get that. Um, and my goal is to promote like sheep ranching and promote agriculture and promote our way of life. So others are, um, can see that and can access it in some sort of way. Yeah, that's amazing. Um, well, Georgia, it's been a pleasure, um, to have you on to learn a bit more about two bar sheep today and uh, get some awesome lamb cooking secrets from you. Um, where can people find you? And I'll, of course, have links to everything in the show notes. Yeah, so our ranch website is tubarsheep.com. And on there, you can learn more about our stories, you know, put a face behind the voice and all of that. And there's recipes on there. And then I'm very active on Instagram. So just at Georgia, just my name. Um, and that's those are the two main sources. Fantastic. Well, uh, thank you again. Really appreciate your time. Thank you to the audience for listening and hope you have a fantastic rest of your day. Thank you. You too. Thanks for having me on. If you enjoy the show, please consider supporting the Carnivore Cast on Patreon. By becoming a patron, you'll help us reach more people and continue to create content on Carnivore. There are also exclusive perks available, such as private Q&As, consultations with me, and more. Become a supporter at patreon.com slash carnivorecast. Check the episode description for the link. Thank you, and I'll see you there. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Carnivore Cast. If you enjoyed this episode, please review on iTunes. It really helps us out. And share it with a friend. What questions would you like answered? Or who would you like to hear from in the carnivore research community? You can find me on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at CarnivoreCast or go to CarnivoreCast.com. You can also email me at info at CarnivoreCast.com. I'd love to hear from you. Until next time, keep it carnivore.